Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Come on, side, side, side. What up, y'all? This is Ed Lover, and it's time for another episode of Come On, Son, the podcast, brought to you by locally Nissan South and Morrow 6889 Jonesboro Road. Those are people over there, and brought to you internationally and nationally by Cigars International. Go to cigarsinternational.com for all of everything that you need related to cigars. They're coming to Atlanta, actually where I'm broadcasting, which is where I do my podcast, and I live now. They're coming to Atlanta for... um, Atlanta Cigar Week, which is uh, coming up soon, and we're going to be at 617 Social Club. Uh, we'll be doing something with Man of War. I'll be hosting on that Thursday, and um, they're giving away a 100-count Man of War humidor with cigars inside. They just sh- sent me a picture of the Man of War, and on the cigar it says Atlanta Cigar Week. So that's going to be really, really crazy. You guys all know that when I do my podcast, I like to do what I call industry insiders. And this is another industry insider podcast right now. If you guys are familiar with One Music Fest here in Atlanta, which is soon to be spread out to other cities across the country, Mm -hmm. it was fucking ridiculous this year. I mean, Migos was on there, which was fucking dope. Uh, Oh, my God. It was just so many people. You had Yasmin Bay on there. It was just so many great acts. And I went again and had a great time. It's the Southeast's largest annual urban progressive music festival the best way I could describe one music fest is they bridge the gap that other music fests don't touch. We don't like just one thing. Right. Like, we'll respect Migos, but, you know, on the other side of that, we like Damian Marley, too. And we like Jill Scott, too. And they give you a little taste of everything for everybody. There's more than one stage. You walk back and forth, food vendors. It's always a good time. It's always peaceful. Everybody just comes to have a good time. And it's one music fest because we only come there for the music. And this man that's right. sitting in front of me today, the man known as Maurice Lee <laughs> to a lot of people, but we call him Motown, is one of the curators <laughs> of One Music Fest. And the reason why he's sitting with me today is because not only is he a curator for One Music Fest since they've started, and you guys got to get down here to Atlanta to check out One Music Fest, is because this dude here 
has been in the music business in some capacity for a very long time with different artists. And we just want to talk to him about being on the inside and the other side of the music business, not necessarily on the mic, but he was a DJ. You did mm-hmm. start as a DJ, didn't you, brother? Yeah, definitely. Welcome, my man. <laughs> Welcome. Up? Tell me how Compton, California shaped you into the person you are. Man, of course, everyone knows the history of Compton. As far no, they as, don't. Well, Not from somebody who was there. Well, Compton, the funny thing about Compton is, Compton is one of the places where when you hear about Compton, you hear it's the gangs, it's the music and everything. Uh-huh. But Compton originally was a place where we couldn't go. Compton was the suburbs of L.A. Okay. You know what I mean? So we couldn't go to Compton. But I wasn't born then. But, of course, it was a place where politicians lived, like George Bush and Kevin Costner parents and all them. They lived in Compton. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's kind of, you know, where the when the Watts, the L.A. riots, you know, original L.A. riots, the Watts, Watts riots, you know what I mean, cracked off. I, I grew up in this neighborhood called, it's funny because I grew up in this neighborhood called Spooktown. But the original. Spook? Town? Yeah, Spooktown. Well, originally, Spooktown was the white people had this they, this neighborhood, and they were called the Spook Hunters. So they basically were like going out hunting black people. Oh wow! You know what I'm saying? And then that's when like the whole like Crips things and, and kind of started because as protection against the uh, Spook, spook hunters. hunters. Yeah, and then we end up moving in, you know, the black people start ended up move. That was like the first neighborhood mm-hmm. in Compton that the black people started moving into. And then they just took over it and kept the spook and then called it Spook Town. And then now oh, they got wow. Spook Town Crips. You know what I'm so, so they became, uh, so the original gangs of L.A., for everybody that don't know, the Crips first, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I call them like a duration of, because they used to walk and they had funny walking people say, so y'all walk like y'all crippled. So then yeah. they just dropped the cripple off and became the Crips. Yeah. Right? They had canes and stuff like that. And people were like, what well, you got a cane for? What are you, cripple? And then they called them yeah. the cripples Crips. and they evolved it to the Crips. Was a group of friends that got together to protect each other in the school systems. Right. And against the white people that lived that didn't want black people mm-hmm. in their neighborhood. From what I understand, there was a certain street, a line that you couldn't even cross. Nah. The white people would whoop your ass a damn Hell day nah. kid you if you go yeah. over there. Like, so the Spooktown people came over. They called it that and they were spook hunters. Yeah. And that's how the Crips started. They started innocently enough as right. a protection. And that's why they was like, that's what the color blue came from. Because the police were, they were the boys in blue, and then we were the boys in blue. But we were like, we couldn't be, like, we were descendants of the Panthers, but the Panthers were black. So we had to kind of like decipher, you know, they this, they wore black, police wear blue, we wore blue. That's where the color, like, they adopted the color blue. For oh, them. they adopted that yeah. color blue. The Panthers was a very heavy influence. On, yeah. Now, when you grew up in, 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 in Compton, growing up in Compton, was there a lot of gang activity when you was growing Hell up? Hell yeah. How did you stay out of it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, you got to have homies that was in it and in it to win it. Homies, um, really, the, the, my thing was my mom and my, my pops, his whole family, they was G's. You know what I'm saying? Like, they was, my mom's was well respected, you know, in the neighborhood. And then Pops and them, like, his whole family, they was bloods. But we lived in the Crip neighborhood. But my, my Pops' whole family was bloods. But my uncle and them was like, they was OGs. They, they you know. Blood OGs? Yeah. And then we, but we lived in the Crip neighborhood. So, and mom's was like, you know, she had me fairly young. So she, you know, even though she respected, she welcomed people. People get kicked out their house, 
they on the run. They was moms would welcome people in our house. Mm-hmm. So and then she was a rider. So they respected her. And then us. What, what kind of neighborhood is your mother from? My mama, my mama originally grew up in uh in L. A. Then she moved to Compton when she had me. Okay. Yeah. So we had you from your father who was a blood. Yeah. All right. So how did a bunch <laughs> of bloods end up in the Crip neighborhood? How did that work out? Because the time y'all moved to that Crip neighborhood, was your father done with his gang affiliation? He he was a he was the player of a, his his family. It was like I think it's fourteen of them okay. brothers and sisters, and he was like the player of the bunch. It's funny because like uh, he was a dude that the ladies man, mm-hmm. but everybody knew his brothers and them, so people didn't mess with him. But he caused he caused the problems. Right. So, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's funny because if you if you meet my parents now, it's like they not together, of course. But pops, they both be talking. I was funny because they both talk like. They in the church, pops a deacon, right? Mom's all on the usher board and all that. I'm uh, like, man, y'all fronting to these people, <laughs> right? Like, this ain't what y'all was about, right? So I used to have to to go to go visit, you know, my uh, my grandmama, and then I would have to ro- go through from my from my neighborhood through two different blood neighbor, well, a different a different crip neighborhood that my neighborhood was feuding with, and then over to all, where all the bloods live. Because of that, because they knew me, they knew that, and they knew my uncle and them. They was like, "Uh, well, that's Boo Rook nephew." So you know what I mean, stall him out. But my uncle and them was like, "You really can't be from any. You can't really choose a hood, but you live in that hood. So them is your homies. We understand that. But we rather you play sports and all that and do all this other crap. But you can't be a punk. So man, they used to be. I used to have to go over here." Every day after school, fight with they big, fight with they homies. Right. You know what I'm saying? And they torture me. And then I come back to where I live, and I would have to fight with the big homies over there because that whole thing was like, if you're going to do this, we got to make you real hard. You know okay. what I mean? Especially if you're going to be Veronica's son because she was hard. Okay. You know what I mean? So, but the big homies, because they knew what mom like moms was and then moms, but you're in a crip neighborhood yeah and your father's a known blood affiliation yeah. they didn't mess with your father in the neighborhood nah that was it was like a pass because he lived you know what i mean because he even though his family was bloods he lived over here it was like look man you know you got a pass but your brother and them can't, like your family can't, can't come, come over, over here there. so nah. your uncles didn't come over there uh-uh. nah the only time they the only time they came over there i got my jaw broke before um, How did that happen, man? I was I was at a baseball game, and uh, I was getting off the bus. The bus broke down, and I was uh, me and my boys. We got off the bus and we played for the Yankees, the Compton Yankees. Okay, so we got off the Very bus. Dope. Compton Yankees. You know what I'm saying? Very dope. So we got off the bus. I would love to have one of the fucking hats. <laughs> Yo, that, it was hard. That joke was fun. hard. So uh, we got off the bus, and I was like 12, 13 at the time. We got off the bus to. Uh, Go get something to drink because, you know, it was hot on the bus. And uh, we coming out the store, and Cass was like, what's happening, blood? <laughs> Where y'all from? And he was like, man, we ain't from nowhere. He was like, man, you know, we, like I said, we from Compton Yankees, so we got the Compton joints on. And he was like, man, y'all niggas is from somewhere. I'm like, no, we ain't. And uh, one of my boys was like, man, stall us out. Nigga. Yeah, we from Compton, this crib. And he said that. And uh, one of the dudes ended up firing on me. Bam. 
I try to get between them, like, hey, man, man, y'all grown. Leave us alone. Like, right. stall us Got out. Little kid. Yeah. Dude, fired on me. Bam. And I and my uncle had gave me this little kind of, like, the Cub Scout multi-knife things. They yeah. had, like, the like corkscrew. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I had the little corkscrew part out, right? And he, he hit me. And I was like, I can't go out. So I swung with the little corkscrew. I hit him, but he ended up, he, he thought I stabbed him. And this big homie just fired on me, just bam. Ended up breaking my jaw. And these old lady um, were on the bus, and they was like, leave them kids alone. And we ended up taking off. And, you know, I didn't realize my jaw was broke, but I know I couldn't talk. So mm-hmm. when we finally got home, you know, I had to, you know, write my mom. I don't know where she was at the time, but I had to write down, you know, what was going on. And so my uncle and them, they came over, and they was like, what the hell happened? And I'm writing down like you know, they took me to get my jaw wired up. When I came back to the house, it was like a scene. It was like a movie scene. It was just the homies who lived over here and then my uncle and then. So I was like Crips and Bloods, but like, but they was together. Like, we finna go ride on these fools because this the homie from over here. And then, you know, my right. uncle so and them, like, this they violated your people yeah. that's from over there. Yeah. And then, they, and then they violated you from your family. Yeah. So, so. that's kind of like, we got to call a truce right <laughs> yeah. now for this minute. To figure it out. To figure out who the fuck we riding on <laughs> over there from a, from, a, from a different neighborhood. Yeah. So this shit, it's funny because of that situation. That's what, not funny. <laughs> no, no. But listen, the funny thing is because of that situation, my uncle became cool with like the OG uh, one of the OG uh, Crip homies, right. and then they end up getting into business. I ain't gonna say what business they got into. Oh, wow. They end up making a lot of money. Okay, <laughs> okay. So business trump sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes in gang culture, business does trump colors. Yeah, at that point in time, it did. Yeah, you just gotta get this yeah. bag. Fuck all the rest of that <laughs> shit. Yeah, we can bang on each other later, <laughs> but right now, let's get this money. Right. Wow. It was crazy. Wow. So when did you start? DJing, when did you start developing your ear for DJing? And why DJ? Because it could have been easy for you to become a Crip or a Blood. Well, probably more of a Crip because where you lived at. Yeah, but um, I always why didn't you claim Crip after that? Like, that would be a lot of people's interest. Like, you know what? Fuck that. I mean. They're going to bomb on me because I live here. I might as well Crip out. It's still, I'm one of them, I'm an affiliate. Like, I'm still, if you, if, if I get mad enough, it's going to be crip. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm trying to avoid it. And then with the big homies, always like, look, man, you know, avoid this shit because you smart, you do the music shit. And they was in, at that time, when I got my jaw broke, then shortly after, my, one of my uncles got killed. And then a year after that, I saw my brother get killed. So, whoa, whoa, you mean your brother that you grew up with now? Yeah, house, my like, little brother from the same mom and dad. Yeah, what happened to your brother? He got hit by a car, okay. Um, and uh, so because of that, man, I just be that's when I really started. I was 14, he was 13. Oh, wow, and uh, you know, what I mean, mom's was she was at work, she worked at Mervyn's, so she's at work. And I was responsible for them cats, so he was end up riding my homeboy's bike, and I went outside to get him so he could come in the house and eat or whatever. And uh, while he riding, the, he left me to go take my homeboy's bike across the street. So as soon as he left out, I mean, uh, went out the street, he got hit by a car. Damn. So because of that, man, I just I became like an introvert. I didn't want to play 
sports. I didn't want to go to school, none of that shit no more. Oh wow. You know what I mean? So I We don't we don't understand um in our neighborhoods growing up and, and I've done I've sat with Shanti Dodds many times, you know Shanti. Yeah. And we've talked about silence to shame and, and um you know, taking care of your mental as much as your physical. And I just want to say this before we continue to talk about your life and career. We don't understand post-traumatic stress disorder in oh. our neighborhoods. We don't understand how many of our friends we've seen get killed, how to deal with or have enough income going on in our family yeah. to send our kids to grief counseling. You probably needed counseling. I, I think at that time, even sometimes when I think about thinking back to them, like I definitely – Needed it, and I didn't understand it because counsel, counseling and all that was taboo. Yeah, you didn't you know do that. You, did, you, you didn't do that. You, you went, handled. You went it, to church. That, you prayed on it. That's you, right. And I was you, the end you of kept it. Kept it moving. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But, but I had to be super. Like yeah. uh, for you, it was traumatic. But imagine how that affected your parents. Like that had to be dumb traumatic. It it, it affected my mom after that went to like a downward spiral. I bet. You know what I mean. So she started you know, getting into, like, she start, she got addicted to drugs and everything at oh, the time. Wow. So it was like, and I still had two other brothers. So me becoming an introvert, you know what I mean? I had to take care of them, but I didn't want to, like, I was just like, I ain't going to school, nothing. But they, but it was always music in the house. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, they had a gang of records. My um, <laughs> What do you remember? Man. What music do you remember always being the, when I was growing up? Uh, let me tell you, right? Hella Soul. So my uncle used to bump Anita Baker. Man, I'm going to tell you a record. Like, I end up, the first record I learned how to mix, but I end up hating that shit because of my uncle, right? Because had, they used to have these domino parties. And every time, this motherfucker would say, don't that Cindy Lauper time after time. <laughs> he want to play that sh- either that or switch, right? right. He didn't play the shit back to back to back. They'll never like, be switch. Yeah, and I'm like classic. I was like, man, this motherfucker. I was like, classic. If he come in the house and get drunk and and, and ask for that time after time, right? So I ended up breaking that shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I it was a little 45. I I, I I put a little break in it. Pop. Right. I was like, hey man. This shit broke. You can't play this. And this is when, like, the fat boys and all that shit was still right. starting to hit, right? Run DMC, fat boys. I'm like, man, there's so much shit that we could be playing. Like, play this. Right. He's like, hell no. Throwing that time at the time. That time at the time broke, my dude. You can't play that shit. You know what I'm saying? You can't play that shit. No you learned to DJ on 45s or 12-inch records. Man, both. Because we have, we, he had 40. He had a bunch of 45s. Right. And then... He had a bunch of, you know what I mean, records, and and he had, he went and got, he had two record players and shit, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so, I was seeing, I don't know who, the first person I, I, the first person I seen actually spin, um, mix, mix, I saw like, uh, like, uh, Grandmaster Flash and them, I saw them, but I didn't really see a mix, the first person I actually seen mix was, um, my man, uh, no, they had this K Day Mixmasters. Okay. Uh, which was Dr. Dre, um, it was like Dr. Dre, M Walk, Battle Cat, Bobcat, um, Greg Mack, he had the show and, yes, he, I and, and they had of so a K Day, so they would have uh, all the DJs all, every Friday night, let DJs get to it. Joke so Aladdin, DJ Aladdin. Of course he was on y'all joint. Hell yeah. Aladdin lived around the corner. Oh my god. And uh 
Aladdin had a Aladdin and, and Dub C was in the group. What was the yeah. name of that group? Uh, low profile. Low profile. That's <laughs> it. Yes, sir. So I um Aladdin, I was up I walking someone home, he's like, Hey man, uh cuz over there getting to it in the garage. And I'm like, who? And they was like, I don't I don't think his name was Aladdin then, but it was something else. I think it was like Tony or something. Uh I went over there and he was in there mixing it's time. I was like, oh shit, he was back. It's time, it's time. Right. And then he started mixing that shit with Egyptian Lover. I was like, this nigga mixing two records together. This is crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I didn't understand Technique 12s and different, you know, pitches. Right. So I went home <laughs> and tried to do and tried mixing at the house. Um, and since, you know what I mean, I was I didn't want to go outside. I used to just I took that little part of what he did and every day at home, since I wouldn't want to do anything else, I would just start trying to mix records, mix records, mix records. And then one of my homeboys, his parents shipped him out from New York to uh, to L.A. This cat Tony, and this is time like what a man, fucking culture shock. But the, you know the crazy shit is in, in L.A. Everybody wanted to be from New York. Niggas <laughs> had curls and blue rags, but you you. Motherfuckers used to leave. He can go to jail for the summer, and you ain't know he in jail. Uh, Motherfucker will come back and be like, "I was in New York." You know what I'm saying? Just New York, like you made it when you made it to New York. That heavy influence of Run DMC, the Fat Boys, LL Cool J, all that music was heavy influence. So that cat came back with like some Ron G tapes and shit. Oh shit! Uh, and I still got them shits to this day. It was Ron G. Fucking, I think nine, like eighty nine, ninety. K Capri, all that shit. And that yeah, motherfucker, charge, that motherfucker was mixing hip hop with R and B. Blended. I was like, oh, I got it now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's the first time you ever heard that. <laughs> hip hop beats and instrumentals and putting R and B acapellas on top mm-hmm. of them. Yes, sir. Dre, Dre used to do this shit too, but I was too young to see Dre do it. But people used to tell me like, right. yo, that motherfucker mixed like. Mr. Postman with some other shit. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's funny because uh, one of these documentaries or something, they were talking about this shit. And I was I was like, I didn't hear him do it, so I can't really imagine. First time I heard the shit was Ron G. And then um, I got turntables because, you know, mom, I think moms was locked up at the time. Okay. And, uh, but low-key didn't nobody know she was locked up. And all the neighbors and everybody in the neighborhood just just like lightweight, make sure we were straight because they felt like if they knew her kids was at the house, they would come take us and shit. And so um, one of the one of the uh, now how long did this last? And she was locked up for like maybe like five months. Okay, and the neighbors all pitched and you know then took care of y'all. Yeah, and then you know of course since I was the oldest, I already you know what I mean I already knew how to cook and all that shit, and like the basics. But one of the older homies, he was like, you know what I mean? He knew moms, so he knew moms from, like, you know, when she, when she was straight. And uh, his name was Spider. He gave me these. He was like, look, man, I know you like music and shit. Like, one of these smokers just gave me this shit. And they ended up giving, he had, like, turntables and, like, a, a realistic mixer. He gave me it. You know what I mean? He gave it to me. And then, uh, shit, man, I just was in the back. I would still go around the corner to a Latin crib, watch him, and come back 
And you know, I just kind of like got myself out of DJ. Stop manipulating this shit yourself. Yeah. Isn't that the most organic way of doing <laughs> crazy. shit? Crazy. Nobody looking over <laughs> your shoulders, no DJ school, yeah. no nothing like that. You just got to figure this shit out yeah. for yourself. And as addictive as it is, man, when I was 13, I, I kind of like, it was the same thing for me watching all the guys in New York come out with their systems. Yeah. And it was who had the best system. It wasn't about the MC. Nobody gave a fuck who was on the mic. It was what record you playing in the park on the block party or whatever. And just watching, watching, watching and carrying crates. To my Hell yeah. was like, come down here. I'm going to teach you how to do this. And you can come down here every Saturday at 9 in the morning and practice. Yep. Believe me, I was there every fucking Saturday. Oh, that shit. Hey, man. I ain't going to front like. If the internet was, if they had the, y'all, I, I always look at like, man, y'all had it good because y'all can go see these. Y'all, y'all was actually. Well, we were too young. We couldn't see them. But we had, we had street DJs like Aladdin. Mm-hmm. You know, we had dudes that had to set up in their house or in their garage or shit or in their apartment, whatever, wherever you lived in the project, somebody had some turntables. Right. They would open the windows up and let the music out and you just try to get close to that person. You know, everybody yeah. got a different way of figuring it out. But it was all the same for us. Like, you, when somebody showed you one thing, you had to figure that shit out for yourself. Hell yeah. There was nobody that's over your shoulders, <laughs> yeah. no DJ school. There was nothing. <laughs> you practiced until you got it right. When did you go from there to working for Priority? Was Priority the first company you worked for? Um, Yeah. Actually, I was on, I went on tour first, but then I came You went on with, tour with who? With Paperboy. Okay. Diddy was the highlight. Yeah. How did so, you know Paperboy? Man, Paperboy, so... When I left, like, moms, when she got out, she got straight. They ended up, uh, there was this suburbs in uh, um, in California called Rialto. And moms, she found a job, and they moved, and we moved to Rialto. Okay. Now, that's probably really, like, the best and worst shit that I ever How old seen. were you at the time? I was, like, 15, 16. I had to break your heart to leave Compton, didn't Yeah. And then you got to think, driving, at that time, driving to where we moving, nigga, it was nothing but dust and tumbleweeds and shit. I was like, yo, we moving to the country. This ain't it. I remember sitting in that U-Haul truck crying like, where the hell we going? And uh, so, you know, we went to this school and it was funny because like this school was like east side hot. Everybody's parents parents at the time had this like notion, we don't get a job. They would work for like McDonnell Douglas, Norfolk. They would move to this area. So it was a bunch of gang banging ass kids from L.A., Watts, Long Beach, Compton, all at this one school. So this school was, like, crazy. But musically, the shit was dope because, let's see, Jazzy Faye went there. Oh, shit. Uh, uh, Joe Cooley uh, was DJ at lunch. J- the whole J.J. JJ Fad went there. Um, and this when J.J. Fad was, like, it wasn't three girls. It really was five girls. Okay. And J.J. Fad stood for all their names. So J.J. Fad went there. Um and uh, a couple other cats went there too, um, so they did just did like so it was just people was rocking with music, and uh, at the time, man, I had um, my the cat that was like my big brother, he was like, man, I'm in the studio with Pape with Mitch, they call him, but Pape's name was Mitch. He's like, I'm, we about to put this record out, you know what I mean? And uh, I was like, he was like, come scratch on it, and so um, I was like, man. But it wasn't Diddy at the time. It was another record. Mm-hmm. And I got there, and I was so fucking nervous and shit. <laughs> I couldn't really do shit. You know what I'm saying? So I couldn't really scratch on this shit. You know what I'm saying? And so he was like, man, fuck this shit. You nervous. You can't even DJ. And uh, uh, 
DJ Quick, because Quick and them was in this shit too. Oh, wow. That's why that nigga made me nervous, because Quick was, I was like, nigga, this nigga, yeah, DJ Quick Quick here. was already established. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I was nervous, and then um, I left, uh, went back to school, and um, I was I was getting ready to go to, I was getting ready to go to college, and I got some paper to go to school, and, uh, but the hum, big homie, his money was getting funny from the dope game, and uh, money was getting funny. End up shooting, you know what I mean, giving him the paper or whatever, and uh, they end up putting Paperboy out, and that nigga shit sold three million, you know what I mean, three million singles. Oh, wow. And so I end up being papes, like, you know what I mean. I end up instead of, but I ain't no shit about the business then, so I end up uh, just being his DJ on the road. Did you get your money back? No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I didn't get like I didn't I wasn't really thinking about it because I was in awe. I went from being, you know what I mean, in the neighborhood right. to going on tour and shit. And I would I would get paid for like doing the shows and shit. So doing that, I end up like meeting um At the height of you DJing for Paperboy on the road. He sells three million records. Y'all touring. What are you making tonight? At that time, I think like five hundred a night. Okay. You know what I mean? 500. And then I picked up another 500. So I started DJing for Pop, too. For Tupac? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> we was on tour together. It was like us. It was Pop, Cam, uh, Paperboy, I think like Diggable Planets or like What song did Pac have out at the time? How if you hear me? Yeah. The, this was before I get it. This, this, this was, he had that album, that, uh, Strictly for my, no. Tupacalypse Now? Yeah. Okay. So... Right before I Get Around came out. As a matter of fact, the last time, the last show I DJ for him is when he went to shoot the uh, I Get Around video. Okay. And he was like, man, leave this nigga and come, but you know what I'm saying? this nigga and come DJ for me. At the time, Pape was bigger than Pop. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, hell no, nah, this the homie. I'm sticking with Pape. Maybe a bad decision. You know that was what I'm a saying? fucking ter- terrible decision. <laughs> God damn. You know what I'm saying? So I ended up sticking with Pape. He went back, did I get around and you know, the rest is history and you know what I mean on him. But um with with the priority thing, since I was DJing and making and I kinda was like the role manager and shit, cause mm-hmm. the homie was in the, who put the shit out, he was in the street, so he didn't want to go he was like, Y'all niggas do this, I don't give a damn about you know, no road and none of this shit. Like, right. So I ended up so being. So was booking shows for paper for uh. Paper man, he work. he we kind of was just like doing it on a whim, but he was signed to uh he ended up signing to um next plateau. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so a lot of stuff was going, a lot of stuff was booking through the was booking through labels and stuff, and um, I ended up my homeboys um who end up going on the road with us and then they end up getting a deal with pri they end up like getting a deal with priority and um and who was that they was called me and my cousin okay there was a group called me and my cousin they end up getting a deal a situation with priority and i end up helping them with their paperwork and then and uh brian turner who owned priority was like i want to meet him and shit and uh the first time i met him we was at the video shooting i was just I was bagging, like clowning around and shit. For me and my cousin. Yeah, I while we was at they yeah, at they video shoot, but I was just joking the fuck around, just cause it was just an asshole, and I was just joking around. Uh-huh. And he was like, "Hey, ain't you the you the dude that they told me about?" 
I'm like, yeah, I didn't know he was. Were you were you called Motown then? Yeah. Okay. I got that name. I got that name, and um, I had that name since being a kid, but I hated. I didn't like that name. Okay. So when I came, so when I started DJing and shit, like people would call me Mo, and they knew I was from Compton, so they put the town together. But um, I didn't like the name, so I didn't want to go by. So when I started DJing, I started coming up with, you know, DJs, your, your name. Back then, your shit had to mean, like, it had to be an acronym <laughs> or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was coming up with all kind of shit. Big Daddy Kane was, like, my favorite rapper. So he had a song when he was like, something, something, can't stop the burn rush. So I had, like, the CSB hat. I had the CSB hat, so I'm like, man, DJ can't stop the bum with CSB. Niggas was like, that shit is whack. That was pretty awful. <laughs> step to me, step so, to the bum. <laughs> so, DJ can't stop the bum. Thank God you didn't go back. That was awful. And so it, that shit came because the homies did like a flyer for a party, and then they could put Motown on it. Okay. That shit just stuck. And it was so, it. Yeah. You stuck with that shit. Yeah. Motown. So you meet Brian Turner. How do you start working for Priority? Um, he's like, What you doing? I was like, I'm just chilling. He was like, You you know, you wanna you wanna work? I'm like, Hell nah. You know what I'm saying? He was like, Well, we having this party tonight. We cause we did um I think like Rap City had just came out. Uh-huh. Big Les was the host. And uh he was like, Well, after y'all do Rap City, we having this party tonight. And uh we ended up doing uh going to the party and Cube was there and and uh so I ended up talking to Brian Turner and this cat Super Dave, Kelly Wu, and uh he was like, Hey, I told this motherfucker to come work and he said no. And Cube was like, Man, you better take that job. Of course this is Cube. Right. Like, so you're in awe right there. <laughs> yeah. Cube, that's Compton. You're from Compton. Yeah. Wow. And so I the first time meeting Ice Cube. Yeah. He's on top of the world at this time. Is America's Most Wanted out? America's Most Wanted was out. Uh, death Certificate was about to drop. Oh, shit. You know what I'm saying? He was hot in the fucking Hell fire. Hell yeah. Right there. So it was like him. Dub C was there. It was him and Dub in, uh, in Crazy Tunes, rest in peace. And he was like, man, you better take that job. And uh, so I ended up starting working like mix show and shit. Okay. I started, I started doing uh, mix show and just like. Working radio pools for did priority. They, did they okay radio pools back in the days when you had to make sure all the records got out to, to the radio DJs? Pools. Yeah. Now, as working the, working the mix shows, was it your? How did you get a list of what DJs were and where they were? Did they provide that for you? They did. You just because I I knew them. Remember they had like the radio pools and they had record pools. Yeah. So I was part of like five different record pools. So I knew hella DJs and shit. Okay. You know what I mean? And then some of them end up being on the radio and shit. Uh-huh. So, you know, and then just naturally me being the DJ, we should like exchange, you know, like mixes and sometimes, and that was back in the days where you actually can go to the club and when somebody was DJing and they would let you get on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So we became, so because of that, that camaraderie, I became tight with a, with hella DJs and shit. Right. And I used to be like, I had like, in the IE, I had the biggest clubs. And so, I'm like, man, come out here and spend. So, you know what I mean? Diggers go from getting $200 a night, and they coming out there, they getting $500, $600, a night. Right. And I had to live, we start doing, like, we was the first place to start doing the live broadcast. Oh, wow. It's funny, because I DJ at this place who, the shit was supposed to be, originally be a strip club, and, and out there, it's supposed to be like a white strip club, and um, they wouldn't get this motherfucker the license. 
to be a strip club. In Rialto? Yeah. Okay. So they wouldn't give him the license to be a strip club, so he was like, I'm going to piss y'all off. Because it was like in an affluent area, and uh, it was he was like, I'm going to piss y'all off. I'm going to make this shit a black dance club. Oh, shit. And he ended up doing that shit, and he ended up being the biggest club, you know what I mean, damn near in Southern California at one point in time, uh-huh. off him being an asshole. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so... We did the live broadcast, so all the DJs would come, and so it was just cool, naturally cool. And I was tight with the DJs, and I'm like, man, you should play this shit, like you know. And so mm-hmm. work, work for priority and shit. And I was like, man, this record is a hit. I used to, yeah, I know how to convince niggas to play certain records, mix certain things, and you know. Yeah, it, because yeah. you're coming from a DJ perspective. Yeah. How is it doing that kind of a job when you have to push records you don't believe in? Uh, at that time, which was cool, I think back then, I just loved it so much. I kind of like, you know, I looked past it and I was like, man, maybe if I don't like it, somebody will. Cause there's a lot of shit that I didn't right. particularly care for that I saw that people like. Um, and then also it was just, but now pushing, but fast forward pushing records. I honestly would have to listen to a record like this a hundred times to make me find something that I like about the shit because now I got to convince programmers that they like the shit that I know <laughs> I don't like. You right. know what I'm saying? So it, 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 that became, that was like the toughest part of the pushing records job. Mm-hmm. From shit that you, you hate or artists that you didn't like you work with. You're like, man, I really hate this motherfucker. Like personally? Yeah. Now I push because there was some artists who like. I work with, to be honest, the three well, two main artists I didn't like personally was I didn't like Buster, and I didn't like Wale. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? That was his assholes to deal with. That was like not cool dudes. You know what I'm saying? Really? Nah. You know Buster for a long time, I but Buster if you go, you know what I'm saying? From the beginning of Buster will spaz out on you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So if you work a record, you like niggas. We supposed to be on the same team. You spazzing like, fuck this. I don't really like you. And what was it about Wale? Wale was just a super asshole. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, you got artists, or you heard stories of people saying, I don't want to deal with certain artists yeah. and all that shit. Wale was always, if you ask a lot of people, Wale was always the top of the list of motherfuckers. Why like, is like, that? Is it is he, is it about how he feels about his music, or does he brush people off, or... I think no, he don't give you the respect that you deserve as a person that's absolutely working in his favor. I think his, his shit was. I think with Wale was musically. I don't think he felt like people gave him enough respect uh-huh. for like the hits that he put out. Right, and then because he didn't feel the respect from certain people, it just went across the board. You know oh, what I'm wow. saying? Like it just built up. Him or I don't know if it was like a little man complex or just anything. Sometimes just, that could be. You know, it's like damn, like you just not want to do shit, sir. I ain't doing shit, man. I'm wild, like, okay, he's not do doing like certain things yeah, that could promote his own record. <laughs> so you shoot yourself in the foot, yeah. in other words. Like I that happens, a, you know. You yeah, it happens a lot. Like I just I don't understand. You work your whole life and you want to get into this business, and then you get in this business and you shoot yourself in the in fucking foot. foot. But there's plenty of times during my career I did not want to get up and do certain things. Right. Usually when that feeling happens and I do it anyway, it's one of the best experiences I've ever had. And that's the thing, man. And people don't get it. I, but I also get on the flip side, I get how 
some some artists or I get how artists would get mad. If I there's some people who I think give or dope interviewers and like dope to sit in with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was before we started, we was talking about I was like, man, I can go back and look at the Yo MTV raps and I was like, man, I'm in awe because the shit was hilarious. Like you just never know what you was gonna get. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When y'all talk to people, you, you know what I mean? It was like in debt and in depth. Like even with like the whole pot shit pot going off and y'all got the kind of relationship where you was grabbing this motherfucker's That's mouth my like you know what I'm saying? We hung out all the time. <laughs> so that was natural. That was that was my friend. Did you have guys who you go and interview with and they basically it's damn near like a script. They ask you, they ain't do no research about the artist. And, right. And this motherfucking dude, by the time he got to you, done a hundred interviews and you asking me the same question over that these other people ask. Right. That probably can get irritating. Yeah, You're doing it, it every can. single, it every can. Al- album. Can. So it I can. get it. But you got to understand sometimes that you, you are selling yourself or you're selling a product. And sometimes when you sell, and sometimes you know what it is too, it's just a lack of maturity. Yeah. And when they get to a certain place in their career, they start getting it. And by that time, it could be fucked up and it could be too late. Like, it's uh, too many times I think in this business, we ask a boy to be a man. Right. And he's just a boy. That's why I used to tell everybody about Mike Tyson. When they expected the world out of him, look, he's 19. He's the right. undisputed heavyweight champion in the world, <laughs> yeah. worth $100 million. Give me $100 million at 19, I would have lost my fucking you mind. Lost it. I wasn't mature enough to handle it. That's why I'm glad in in you know, retrospect of my career that it happened late for me. It didn't happen when I was 21, 22. I was 24 going on 25 when I right. got you on TV Rats. So I was a little bit more mature mm-hmm. than, you know, being 18 and 17 years old. But sometimes that's it. And sometimes these motherfuckers are just dicks. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of them out I there. I think, it, man, a lot of the younger motherfuckers, is just, they don't understand. I think that. You they know, don't want to get I, up. And I'm, you got to yeah. knock on the fucking door. They know they're supposed to do more on the radio. They don't show up. I give you, I give you a crazy story. Um, at the height of her career, um, I have the number one rated radio show in the biggest market in New York City mm-hmm. in the morning. I mean, my numbers is busting hot with Stern's ass, right? Right. And Lumi D was supposed oh, to come do my show that morning. And we waiting on her, waiting on her, waiting on her. She didn't show. Then they said she's going to come. After the show, she running a little late, and I'm like, okay, she just did the remix of Buster. She's bubbling. I'm waiting. It's like 11 o'clock, and Lumi D never fucking showed up. Her rep is there. He's losing his fucking mind. Oh, she was out late at a club. She had a show last night, and I told him, I said, okay, she'll never have another hit. Never. Record. And she never and she did. Never did. Damn. I said she'll never have another fucking hit. That Lumi, and she then was you got amazing. A then you got a motherfucker that came from the Griggy, griggy ground from that was getting high his whole fucking life, and they had to go get him out of the crack house half the time to record DMX. Oh, yeah. Who's supposed to come and see you at? Supposed to be there at seven o'clock, and he show up five forty-five in the morning with the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> the dogs running around the fucking radio station, <laughs> but he was hungry he was, yeah. and he wanted it, and he came for it, and he really, really wanted it. So a lot of times they do. Bow, shoot their own shit self in the fucking foot. I always think, man, like somebody like you, you should probably, because I was I was thinking about this and I was actually talking to uh, my homegirl who who worked for Sony uh, TV. Movie. I was like, man, we should do some shit called like you know, just giving it an insider's view mm-hmm. um, at the industry because you have so many stories that 
you know what I mean, can help. Sometimes it can, ex, you know, expose people. But I don't think it's, I don't want to, I would, I would, my idea wasn't to expose motherfuckers, but to, you know what I mean, to help and show other people their perspectives. Because it's like, people don't know. Fifth, for instance. Right. Say what you want to say about Fifth being an asshole, but working with Fifth, if you wasn't on your game, it was like, if the itinerary said five, and you showed up to the motherfucking hotel at 430, like, where Fifth at? Fifth already at the fucking radio station. Right. And you showing up like, damn, Fifth, you left me? Like, yeah, I'm here. I'm ready to rock. Right. You know what I mean? And you have those guys like that who That's right. always on time, always on point. You find that they be the biggest the biggest artist. But you got to 50 Cent do shit. What he do right now is calculated. Right. It's calculated promotion. It's all tied up into promotion. He don't do shit and say shit just to say shit. Like, when he... You know, to go at Taraji was to promote power. Right. And he knew, you know, to say something to somebody else, uh, to uh, Dwayne Wade's wife, uh, or Gabrielle, Gabrielle yeah. Union, that was to promote 50 Central. That's what that was all about. I'm coming on, I'm out to take over. You, you better be careful. I might cancel your fucking show. Bait you to make you say something back uh-huh. to draw your people into reading what he's trying to do. It's oh, all yeah. calculated. Fifth the, motherfucker, probably- the motherfucker put out a fucking commercial. During <laughs> yeah. the, the show that he's going up against, right? That says you can't now, have in, an empire without power, and it ran during empire. Exactly. Come on. Fifth to me, man. Out of all the artists like that, I work with Fifth, professional, like funny. He's probably one of my favorites to 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 work with because it's not one of those things where. Oh man, I got stopped by the weed man. No, this motherfucker ain't with none of that shit. No, none of it. And when and when you ask him something, like people think like fifth, that nigga's an asshole. Most of the time, people ask fifth these questions. He's just the person that's gonna answer. Everybody else is gonna be like, yeah, I'm not gonna answer that. Or right. That's not. He, you ask him a question and he feel a certain way, he gonna speak his mind. That's right. And I think because of that. People think, oh man, he's an asshole. No, they, absolutely we not. We show PC always now. on time. <laughs> yep. always on time. I've never, I've never had him late. We'll take the many pictures as you want to, yeah. sign autographs for everybody that you want to, and he, all he asks of his artists that work with him and under him, is the same shit that he does. Yep. That's all he asks. I was surprised that it, you know. That he was making records about smoking weed every day. Nothing. No drinks, no fucking nothing. And put money in his people's pocket, like beyond. If you're loyal and you fuck with him, he takes care of you beyond imagination. Right. You know what I mean? Hell Fifth yeah. do shit like be on tour and he still tours and he goes overseas and makes a shitload of money. And he will do shit like he came up to the station. He had 25 racks in his back pocket and hundreds. I said, Fifth, you got money about to fall out your back pocket. He said, oh, Eddie Mac, that was just a, uh, that was just a, uh, oh, he called me OG Bobby Johnson. OG Bobby Johnson, that was just nothing but some after party money. I just let, you know, they supposed to pay me 50 and I ain't even go. I just showed up for a minute and I let Banks and them make the rest of that money. Yeah. Who I, the fuck else does I that? I respect that shit. Who else gives his boys $25,000 just like that? Yeah. It just takes the tw- other 25 and put it in his fifth. pocket. I'll you know who else hard. I fuck with heavy? Who? Rest in peace, man. Jam Master Jay. Oh, wow. When did you meet Jay? Man, Jay, I met Jay personally. Um, the first time I met him, it was just, you know, shook his hand like, oh, shit, that's JMJ. He was he was, uh, he was was in L.A. rocking with J.O. Felony. Okay. And I met him. 
I was like, damn, that's Jay. But then um, I met him here from my old business partner, uh, Do, Sean Do. Yes. You know what I'm saying? My and, and he, Him Duke, and Jay were tight. Yeah, yes, that was sir. his dude. We're so, all from the same hood. Yeah, so I had a birthday party. Well, dude, I knew Sean Do in high school. When he was in high really? school. Really? <laughs> oh, shit. Yo, that's my dude. So I, I had a birthday party, and uh, dang, I don't know what Jay and him was doing here, but he was like, look, man, he just kept saying all day, like, I got a surprise for you. And he know, like, Jay was just, like, up here to me. He's like, man, I got a surprise for you. You never really told me what it was. So I'm thinking some cake, some bottles and shit. So I'm DJing and shit in the club, and I just felt somebody tap me on the shoulder. And I'm in the zone. He was like, nigga, this your party, man. You don't need to DJ. And I'm like, I ain't just finna let nobody come up and DJ. I turn around. It's Jay. Damn. And I was like, <laughs> damn. He was like, man, go party. I got you. Oh shit! He took over the party and started spinning. I had to pay him nothing. And he he shot me out. And shit! I was like, oh shit, man! That's like, Jam Master fucking Jay. Fucking Jay. Yes, sir. Oh, that shit was like, and he was just the coolest motherfucker. And I didn't real because of that. And and talking to him, I realized I didn't realize I realized how big he was. But I didn't know like he was big. But he also he had like he was from the hood. Yeah. I ain't know Jay was like, like a, you know what I'm saying? There, so. there, is a, there is an absolute <laughs> comparison that you can do. And I was talking to, I was over at my man Tyrese's house the other night. He's from Watts, uh-huh. right? Born in Martin Luther King Hospital. Yep. He told me one side is Compton, the other side is fucking Watts. Watts. So it's yep. right there. It's just, you know, and uh, I was telling Tyrese, there's an absolute comparison you can do from being from Hollis, Queens, and being from Compton. They fucking look alike. <laughs> you know, I used, to, I used to chill with this girl. I used to mess with this girl at Compton Live on Pyru Street. Right? Oh, yeah. And the homies gave me a pass to come through anytime I wanted to because when I touched down at L.A., all the OGs took me over to all the neighborhoods mm-hmm. and showed me around, told the little BGs and everything. Y'all see this dude? Don't fuck with Ed at all. Right. Ed is cool. From Crip neighborhoods to Blood neighborhoods, you know, it was all good for me. So Shorty lived on Pyru Street in Compton, and I had a pass Rode through anytime I wanted to come through, and I looked in Inglewood, Compton, this shit, except for like places like the jungle and right. shit like that. This shit looks like Queens. Yeah, really. But that sun go down, bro. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a whole different ball game out that <laughs> motherfucker. When the shit go down, when it get quiet, <laughs> then, you know you go through Compton like this is fucking Compton. Get the fuck out. This shit, like, this yeah. shit ain't hard. Niggas is playing in the street, and bike riding, and throwing frisbees and yeah. shit. But no, <laughs> and it was the same way. Except that I was like I was telling Tyrese, we didn't get the game culture right until Rikers Island, one of the biggest prison complexes in New York mm-hmm. City. And the Latin Kings used to run the oh, island. Oh, yeah. Slicing niggas in the face. You know, you know, it was a lot of black against Latino shit going mm-hmm. on in that system. And there was a blood homie that got locked up in New York, New York. and introduced New York dudes Dude. in the prison system Damn. to the blood culture. And it was done as a way, blood in, blood out. We're going to take care of each other against right. these motherfuckers right here. Oh, so shit. the blood start fucking with the you know with the Latin with the Latin Kings heavy, and then Tretchen was going back and forth to L.A. LA. a lot, and they had a couple of Crip homies, mm-hmm. and they came back to into to, uh, into Brick City in East Orange, and introduced Triple I niggas to the Crip culture, and then it just started spreading yeah. around. So now we have a big gang culture. But when I was coming up, 
if they were shooting and shit going down, and the same thing with Fifth, and Fifth got caught up in this shit too, because yeah. moms used to deal, and then he used to deal crack. It was about who you was connected to as far as drugs is concerned. Right. It wasn't blue and red. It was about, uh, yeah, you, are, you know, I lost my homie Big Stretch that used to run with Tupac all the yep. time. And with them, it was, nigga, you can't, Supreme Team niggas is not coming over to this side of Queens mm. and taking over our property where we getting our money from. So, and then Hollis niggas is trying to set up in Springfield. We're not having that. It wasn't blue and red. It was gang. It was gang. Yeah, neighborhood. It was crack. Got, yeah. It was crack. It was Damn. crack. We control our neighborhood. We getting our money over here. You not. You see us getting money. Now you're yeah. trying to move in, get this abandoned building over here. Somebody Damn. moved out. You know, she a smoker. So now yep. you want to come in her crib yeah. and start pushing. <laughs> Not on my fucking block. That's what our shooting and all of that shit from like 84 on oh. was behind. Damn. It wasn't, I don't think it was to the early 2000s when we first started or maybe late 90s or early 2000s. The first motherfucking real gang banging motherfucker I ever met in my life was... Them niggas from Triple I that was with Tretch and them. Oh, yeah. You know, and pretty much Snoop. Snoop, when I had uh, Snoop on nah. TV Raps. Dub probably was the first. Probably well, Dub, but <laughs> Dub wasn't open yeah. about this thing. Yeah. Like, when I had, when I had uh, low profile, <laughs> Dub, Dub ain't say shit about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Dub and G. You know, Dub and... Out, you remember Coolio? Yeah. Coolio was G for oh, hell yeah. Compton too. Coolio, hell was, yeah. Coolio was banging. And King T. Yeah. Oh hell yeah! I see. <laughs> I tell you about King. I was dead. You know what? Tell you that fucking story. Uh, Coolio will tell you the story because Coolio was with us when Pac and King T had a fight. Oh yeah, yeah man. I did. Yeah, I didn't hear about that. Shit, cause yeah. I always heard the bit like. King was, you know King, King was cripping. Yeah. Pac had a red rag hanging out of his pocket. It was me, Tupac, Stretch, Garbrush, both of their souls. And Coolio was there. We was at Glam Slam. Remember when oh, Glam Slam was shit. in LA? Hell so we yeah. We had Glam Slam, and Prince just comes out of nowhere. Like, this shit is rocking. Like, oh, LA has so many bitches. Yeah. Oh, my God. So many yeah. I'm sorry for saying the word bitches, but so many beautiful women in LA. LA had it popping, Mo. You print, come out print. there, you a New York motherfucker, you ain't never seen women this beautiful in your life. And they love y'all. Oh, my God. Love us <laughs> yeah, so we at we Glam Slam. We, I'm popping, nigga. I'm on TV six days a week. I'm popping. pockets on fire. We rolling out together. We doing our one-two. We jump up at Glam Slam. Prince just comes out of nowhere and start performing. Damn. So me and Prince had this rapport already. From when the All-Star game in Minneapolis or whatever, we went there, all of us got invited to his crib. Mm -hmm. Me and him just connected on some other shit. Man. I didn't know this motherfucker watched you on TV raps. I had no idea. Oh, right? So I'm fucking with Prince. I take, it's me, Pac, Stretch, Prince, Coolio. We all go backstage. We take, we kicking it. Pac is, Prince is talking all kind of shit. You know, Pac a hard-headed, stupid nigga. <laughs> Definitely. Prince is, Prince is like, yo, I want to do something with you. You know, Prince didn't give out his part. He ain't let nobody rap over his shit. No. You couldn't sample print shit. Hell no. Nah. Nothing. He would give it out <laughs> nothing. I remember this motherfucker telling Pac, yo, I want to do to do this shit with you or whatever, whatever. And I'm with yo, we roll out. King T, I'm drunk as fuck. <laughs> this nigga start talking. Pac, yo, Pac, you going to do records, man. You going to go to Minneapolis, do records with Prince. You know, Pac, that nigga be wearing a ruffle shirt. Yeah, yeah I'm like, shit. nigga, this is Prince, you stupid ass. I'm arguing with this nigga. Here come King T, yo. This nigga drunk as fuck. So with that rag, blood. <laughs> this crib over here. Ah, oh, this nigga pops a man. It's a rag, nigga. I ain't. This before show. Sure. Yeah. I'm not with none of that shit. This before he claimed mob mob. Yeah. He wasn't with none of that. She just had a rag hanging out right. of pocket. 
King T got out of pocket. Them niggas start scuffling, stretch, punch King T on top of the head, knocked him down. I'm like, nigga, he drunk. King T, get up, nigga. We, I'm like, go ahead, man. This nigga, they was just wildin', man. Niggas, yeah, it was man. just wildin'. It was just, it was about the rag. <laughs> that was just, yeah, man. King Taylor, T was serious. Yeah, that's about Taylor, that crippin' Taylor, shit. Taylor was, Taylor was, Taylor was about, man. Yeah, about it. First nigga I ever seen, probably, Crip Walk was dubbed. Dumb. He crip walked on your own TV raps and I didn't know what he was doing. Oh, for real? Say, yeah, with low profile, a lot was spinning and, and, and fucking Dub is one it. of the best crip walkers you've ever seen in your fucking life. I think Dub and corrupt. Yes, sir. But corrupt is a Philly nigga. But he, but when he moved to LA, he was yeah, in the he, 60s. Yeah, absolutely. But Dub, for real, for real. And I, you know, we didn't know what the fuck that was. <laughs> That's when Dove had the, Dove was from 111, so we had the three braids. Yes. Dove from 111. Yes, sir. See, he I didn't, didn't get know that shit. Put me on to some shit. <laughs> yeah. The three braids from 111. That's fucking like crazy, Dove, man. Dove, Dove was a G. Uh, it's funny because Stretch, I mean, not Stretch, but uh, Tretch was kicking with um the cats from, when Pac was first rocking with the 40s. He was yes. in the 40s. Yes. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. You know what I'm Niggas was like, that's when that, uh, what's your boy's name? The singer. And he ended up doing L- LV. Okay. Him? He, was on, he was on Coolio joint. Yes, yes, Thank yeah. You. And then Tress was rapping on his shit. He had like, uh, he had a song to like, uh, Bounce. Wrong. Yeah. Uh, so Tretch, yes, Tretch was, those was his homies. But niggas fuck with Tretch. Just, just, just with Jay, like, you would hear stories of Jay being in, like, the hood is a hood shit. And, but you know. Out of all of them, out of all of them, the swagger and everything that they had came from Jam Master Jay. Damn, nigga. The way they dressed, all of that came from Jay. Jay was a real Hollis nigga. He is from Hollis through and through. And it's funny that you now you say that with Fifth, because some of the shit that you may hear about, like Jay going to the hoods, Fifth will go in the fifth of like go in the hood. Yeah, Southside, you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Fifth, you be like, it's fifth funny. Used hustle, <laughs> fifth used to hustle up on on fucking Guy R. Brewer, man. New York <laughs> well, Boulevard damn. and shit. But my wife is from over there, from Southside Jamaica, mm-hmm. Queens. You know, that's why Fifth Fifth was a shorty. Everybody called him Boo Boo. Uh-huh. Nobody called him Fifty Cent. Before, until he started rapping. I didn't know who the fuck he, who he was. And the funny shit is, my daughter went to August Marlin High School. I went to August Marlin High School on the south side. Mm-hmm. My wife went to August Marlin High School. Lloyd Banks and my daughter was in the same homeroom class. Damn. I was in the same homeroom class with Banks' moms when Damn. I went there. And I'm fucking choking the shit out of my daughter. Like, this nigga's <laughs> giving you these mixtapes all the time. I'm living in L.A. at the time. Why are you not telling me these things? <laughs> oh, you fucking bubble? say something. That's that's when you could get a person a deal. Hell yeah. You can walk this shit in and say, listen to this shit. And it's on. And it's on. You would have been. Absolutely. I tied myself into every fucking album on all of these niggas. (laughs) Kidding me? Damn, man. Y'all from the same. We all from Queens niggas. It's all over the Nazanums, Queens niggas. You know. Big shout out to Nori and Capone, they oh, Queens Queen. niggas. J and M is Queens niggas. Tribe is Queens niggas. Mm-hmm. Salt and Pepper's Queens Queen. niggas. Eric B's a Queens nigga. Molly Maul is a Queens nigga. LL Cool J's a Queens nigga. Lost Professor is a Queens Damn. nigga. You know what I mean? Tragedy Gaddafi, Queens Gaddafi. niggas. We said, yo, me and Pac, man, Pac used to be at my mom's house so much. 
that if the door was open, he could walk in. Even if I was if I was upstairs in, in the room or if my car was in front of the house, I was living in Jersey at the time, and he was around the corner of the stretch house, them niggas write rhymes or whatever. He'd come around, and them niggas come see me. I said, yo, I'm around the corner. They come in. If the door was open, he walked right in. Hey, hey, mom, my mom, hey, Tupac. That's how it that was. Man, I didn't know. Uh, that's the, like, I didn't realize y'all was like hella super, super tight. And yeah. then I'm like, damn. Because he was tight with Stretch. And I looked at and I'm like, damn. And I seen like maybe some interview. I heard like a Sway and Tech interview when he was talking about it. He was like, man, Ed, that's my niggas. Like, and when they was talking about doing the Death Row East, he was like, man, you know, we got, we got uh, he was fucking with Buckshot and I think Eric B. And, he, and then mm-hmm. kind of the interview he was like, man, I fucking love New York. My nigga Ed out there. I was like, damn, they yeah. was talking about Ed way back when. Oh, yeah. Shit. Absolutely. Like, that shit was crazy. Absolutely. That was Absolutely. a cool, man. I ain't going to front. That nigga was wild. That nigga was cool. Like, if you want to have a good time, you know what I'm saying? Tupac. Absolutely. <laughs> it was a good time. The women loved him. The yes, only thing sir. is, yeah, like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Damn. Yeah, that nigga saved, that nigga saved, him and, him and, uh, big, him and big psyche them saved me before, though. How so? Man, we was on tour. I think it was in, like, Indianapolis and shit. And it was an after party. The after party was at our hotel. And, uh, we used to do this bullshit, like, knock on each other's, uh, hotel door and when a motherfucker open the door you just like throw water or whatever on him and so uh i end up knocking on uh one of the cats that was with us uh door no i didn't do it i had this girl with me and i was like hey go across the hall because the drink that nigga got the drink in his room just knock on the door and he gonna give you the drink so he think i knocked on the door so the motherfucker opened the door he doused the girl she wet shit on her head, shit like that, you know. So she's like, "I gotta go down to my car and get my clothes and shit." So I get clothes to change. Me and her ain't even fooling around. We just at the after party, so we, I mean, we just chilling. So we go downstairs and we get up, like the elevator open. And it was like her boyfriend and his homies. That was like some Omegas and shit. So they was like, "Who the fuck? Who the fuck you with?" Like they get mad at her. Like who is this nigga? He, she's like, yeah, that's you know, he with paper, but we don't give a fuck. So they surrounded me. They ain't let the, they ain't let the elevator close. They got me surrounded. So I'm like, yo. So I'm backed up in the corner. I'm like, shit, I gotta. I'm about to try to fight these niggas. Right. Just then, the other elevator opened, and it was Pac, Stretch, and all them niggas. Like, you know what I'm saying? They come out, and I was like, hey. She was like, fuck going on? I was like, these niggas trying to rush me. Pac was like, hold up, man. Y'all niggas trying to rush the homies. You know what I'm What's happening? They's like, nah, Tupac, nah, man, nah. He was like, nah, nigga, he with us. What y'all want to do? Next thing I know, niggas get the sw- they start swinging on those megas and shit. I was like, oh shit. You know what I'm saying? They like, so these niggas, they get out of there. They like, nigga. He was like, them niggas gonna beat your ass. We saved you. I was like, they definitely saved me. I was like, I was like, y'all definitely saved me. It was just the funniest shit. That shit is crazy, man. That shit is so you know fucking crazy. It, the, fuck, the funniest shit is we get on the plane the next day, and the nigga gets on the plane, and he goes, hey, I want everybody to know this nigga almost got his ass beat. <laughs> I was like, I was like yeah. 
<laughs> on the plane, everybody looking like, what the hell is this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Some you wouldn't let that shit die. Oh, <laughs> like, my yo, God. I'm sitting there looking like, man, I need a blanket to put over my head and shit. <laughs> the lady next to me is like, what happened? I was like, yeah. Uh, it's a long story, man. It's a very long story right there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When did you make the transition from one music fest and everything that you're doing right now outside of priority what was your next job after priority? Um, did you leave priority and go straight to this well, they moved priority moved me here um to atlanta yeah okay and so i was the uh i was doing mix show here and um me and uh one of the cats that worked for priority we started doing, we started a, uh, it was maybe a street team and mix show company. Oh, I miss the street you know team. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, bro. <laughs> I miss the street team. He was getting to it. So we started the street team company, and I was doing the, the mix show and radio aspect of it. And um, we ended up getting an account from J-Core. Okay. Um, and, uh, and what songs were y'all working? What artists were you working with? At that with? time, we had, they had Slum Village, uh, Dope. Mystic, Out of the Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, and A Ball and MJG. Oh wow! Pimp Hard was they had they had to just put Pimp Hard out, but they was banned from radio because some shit that happened at Suave. So no radio station would play nothing with A Ball and MJG. Oh shit! And I had a tight relationship with the programmers at uh at um at Radio One, mm-hmm. so I kind of went in, negotiated them uh, to to lift the ban, so they start playing A Ball and MJG. So J Core ended up giving me a job to run to uh run um do radio national radio for J Core and then so I I was over at J Core on the road with Ball and G 911 hit and uh all the shit was fucked up so Jay Ferris the owner of J Core a lot of his money was in stocks so um he just didn't have money to pay people no more oh wow and so Ball and them was like look man, we free agents and we need a manager and um won't you come manage us? You know what I mean? The kick is, won't you? And, uh, and Dude was their homeboy because he had an artist with Suave House, and he had been in the game. He was like, you and Dude need to, y'all partner up um, and manage us. So, like, like, I ain't never managed before, but fuck it, let's give it a shot. Right. So we end up, you know, getting together uh, to dem- and start managing A-Ball and MJG. Um, so me and Dude and, uh, and uh, James McMillan, uh, who's who's he's an attorney out of New, you know what I mean he's from the south but I mean he's from Cleveland but he's been an attorney for a long time we end up doing a deal with Bad Boy okay with Puff so we end up doing the Puff situation um and then for eight ball and Jim, yeah. MJG so we did that put out a um, Living Legends was went platinum and I just man. A million souls, folks. Not yeah, <laughs> yeah. soul. You know what I'm saying? So we was doing that and. I just start, you know, I just kind of, I always still did radio because I was doing it for them, even though I was managing them. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got tired of the management thing. I was like, man, this shit, you know, I feel like I'm babysitting, you know what I mean? And um, so I just didn't want to manage anymore at that okay. time. So I stopped and um, we put out, a, I had put out a clothing line and was still, you know, doing the radio and I ended up going to Interscope. Okay. You know what I mean, so I ended up working with Interscope, um, doing I mean the Southeast Regional Manager Interscope. So I worked with everybody there. That's when I, Fifth, Robin Thicke, uh, um, Kendrick, and everything. So I just you know from there, Jay, um, who was you know me and Jay were thick as thieves, and uh, he was like, man, I want to start a festival. 
You know what I mean? So he's like, you got the music side locked up, you know. I'm going to start a festival. Like, let's start booking these acts. And, you know, one music fest came about, and we just, you know what I mean, started doing that. And, uh, and I still do my consulting, so I still do radio as far as consulting. And then went over to NASCAR. Then NASCAR were beg- was begging me to come over there, so I ended up, you know, for – Last year and a half, um, working at NASCAR. What do you do over at NASCAR? I'm the uh, I was the vice president of marketing and diversity partnerships. That is dope. Up shit. until three weeks ago, I quit. You did? Hell yeah! Why? <laughs> I can't really. I can tell you off here, but okay, tell you know, me just that. just know that they gotta. What you know NASCAR for? Yes. is true. Okay. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, but I I'm, I had a. It was a good experience. Um, Working there and everything, and uh, the CEO of NASCAR, um, he personally hired me, and that's my dude. You know okay. what I mean? Like he's to this day, you know, even though you know I quit and you know we going through funk, like he still he's still my dude, and he he understands why it wasn't a situation that he created, mm-hmm. but it was a situation that was created. So right. you know, we got to deal with it. All right, there you go, there you go, my man Motown. I appreciate you, big homie. Hey, yo. I'm here with Ed. Wait till the, the homie. Look, Bob made it. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate y'all listening, man. To come on side the podcast, y'all keep God first. Everything else will always fall into place. I'll talk to you, at you, and about your ass the next time, which is next week, right here. Or come on side the podcast. Now get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. <laughs> This Ed Lover podcast is being done in conjunction with Cigars International. Make sure you check out CigarsInternational.com for all your cigar needs. This episode of Come On, Son, the podcast is produced and engineered by co-executive producers Kimana Paulus and Krista Hayes. Recorded at Mean Street Studios in downtown Atlanta, Georgia, this is an official Loudspeakers Network podcast. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.
Auto Parts. <laughs> 